another kind of unique story about ours, but um, Lottie and Martin were created in um, February of 2011 as embryos. We obviously didn't start using them until um, we did our first transfer in February of 2017, so they were frozen in that time. So those embryos, the entire time we went through infertility, they were there. They were there, and um, I like to say they were just there chilling, literally. Been There, Injected That is a TMI podcast about going through infertility and all the hormone injections, awkward moments, and nervous breakdowns along the way. I'm Elise Ash. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to this episode of Been There, Injected That. Today on the podcast, we have Lauren Gerald, who is an advocate and a mom after pursuing donor embryos. She's also a great writer and a personal friend of mine. So welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Elise. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this is so fun to catch up. Usually we just we catch up on text or sometimes I see you on different like Facebook groups. And we, we were so close when we were both trying to get pregnant around the same time. So I'm so excited for you to be able to share kind of your journey to, to parenthood uh, with this community. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. So, Lauren, to start, why don't you introduce yourself, you know, your name, where you live, kind of what your family looks like? Yeah. Um, Well, my name is Lauren Gerald. Um, I live in the south metro of the Twin Cities. Um, I'm home most days with my kids now. Prior to having my kids, I was actually a nanny for over a decade. But now I spend most of my time at home, which is really nice. I like it. So, Lauren, um, I know you have a really special relationship with your husband, Jesse, and I know this because not just are we personal friends, but you share a lot of funny relationship and marriage anecdotes, I feel like, on social media. And so I'm curious to hear how you met Jesse and what your relationship looked like, you know, before having kids. We met the old-fashioned way on the internet, um, (laughs) goodoldmatch.com. I think it's becoming the old-fashioned way now. But yeah, we were just a young couple. We met in our mid-20s, spent a lot of time with friends. You know, most weekends or even like weeknights, we would, you know, sing karaoke or go play bar trivia. Jesse was on like 12 softball leagues. Um, I like to spend a lot of time thrifting and going to vintage shops and that kind of stuff. Um, But yeah, we just, we were unattached and able to just do whatever we wanted. When did you know that you wanted to be a mom? And, you know, did you and Jesse both want kids? Yeah, I would say I think I've always felt that desire to have children. It was when I met Jesse where I was like, yeah, I need to have kids with this guy. Um, It was definitely um, he was my person. Um, We balance each other out. He's very kind and patient. I'm kind of the silly one, a little more emotional, but it was just a really good balance. When did you first start trying to conceive? And then did you anticipate there might be any issues? Or what were those first few months of trying looking like? You know, it was kind of like right around the time we got married that I was like ready to jump in, try. We were married in August of 2011. And I, I quickly learned how obsessed I could, I got with it. And I think in my gut, like after a few months, I was like, yeah, something's not right. This is going to be a little trickier. I don't think I anticipated how incredibly tricky it was going to be. Yeah. When you say that you were obsessed, what, what does that mean? Like, how did you, how did that manifest? 
when you start and decide you're ready to start having a family, it's just really easy to slip into this kind of obsessive, at least it was for me, where I was charting my cycles, I was buying the ovulation predictor kits. I remember I'd get those ones with like the blinky smiley face. Oh, the fancy ones. Oh, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> um, the cheap, cheap lady. I was real fancy and bougie with my ovulation predictor kits. <laughs> yeah. I, I joke that like I could have easily have paid for like a really nice vacation with all the money I've spent on ovulation predictor kits. It's so depressing when you think about it for more than eight seconds. It's like, oh my gosh, the money I spent on yeah. pregnancy tests. Womp, womp. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was just, I, I went into that. It was timed sex and, and not sexy sex. It was just like, we're doing this, you know, I'm ovulating and yeah, it got really intense, really fast. And I remember it wasn't quite a year in where I went to my doctor and I just kind of explained our situation. And she was, I don't know if she like sensed that I was just like this anxiety ridden woman, but she kind of like said, okay, we can do some of the initial testing. Um, and so we did all the check on checks on both of us and everything looked pretty clear on my side. Um, and then when Jesse did his semen analysis, that's when we learned that he actually had lower numbers and we were both, I was personally shocked because I think I just assumed it would be me. Like I'm the one who has the issues here. Um, and it was, it was kind of shocking that it was actually Jesse that was contributing. I wanted to ask also, Lauren, going back to something you'd mentioned, and I actually, I want to give you a compliment because as someone who is kind of walking through this journey on a parallel path to you around the same time, I was always so impressed with you with how big of an advocate you were for yourself when it came to the medical community. And I felt like you always did such a good job of saying kind of like, fuck the timetable and like, fuck my age. Like, I want these tests and I want to know what's going on. And I want to, well, I kind of wanted to compliment you, but I wanted to say also like, do you have any advice for people who are maybe in this part of the journey um, about how they can be better advocates or right. how they can find the right provider who's going to kind of, I don't want to say like indulge them, but listen to them. Just listen to your gut. If something feels off, pursue it. Um, I'm a person though that I don't leave many stones unturned. I, I had to like dig and find answers and, and seek specialists. Yeah, I mean, it just comes so naturally to some people. And then to other people, I think it's just a struggle of being yeah. able to raise your hand and say, I need help, or I have questions or wait, I'm not done with this appointment. Or, you know, I mean, it's just I think it takes a certain personality type. And it's hard to do that if you're someone who isn't used to doing that. Right, exactly. And it's, you know, emotional labor that you're so tapped out. I don't know. I guess I just was the person that I'm sure forces many nurses and doctors into an early retirement. Oh, because... my gosh. Did you ever <laughs> did you ever watch Seinfeld? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, okay. yeah I've seen... There was an episode where Elaine has to go to the doctor and they write in her file that she's difficult. Like she's a difficult <laughs> patient. And then oh, every other doctor's office she goes to, it's like in her file forever. <laughs> she basically has to like go to Queens to be able to like escape <laughs> being called difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Yep pretty sure there was a lot of like notes about Lauren and yeah. the kind of patient she was <laughs> but you know what hey it gets shit done right it really like, does I mean that squeaky wheel gets the grease it's totally 
if you don't say anything, I mean, no one's going to bend over backwards to help you. Right. So, Lauren, going back uh, to your infertility story. So, Jesse receives this diagnosis of male factor. Uh, what happens next? I always like to share this part. We actually went to the reproductive endocrinologist for the first time. This is a super romantic way to spend your anniversary um, on our one-year anniversary. Aww. Yeah, I know, right? Um, we did end up going out for Juicy Lucy's after. I mean, like a good Minnesota <laughs> couple. So yeah, it was um, very overwhelming. But the doctor we saw at the time... She's retired now, so like I said, I force these people into retirement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she um, uh, just felt very hopeful for us. She's like, well, hey, we'll do a couple IUIs. You know, maybe the first one will work. Bing, bang, bam, you know. We jumped right into some IUIs, and we did, like, back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back IUIs. Um, one thing I'll say about IUIs is, like, I know IVF is the big guns, but, like, IUIs are they're hard on your body. Like every month they're loading you up with hormones and not quite the amount obviously as IVF, but I, Oh, I was such a mess. They're hard on your body and IUIs are also hard on your spirit. I mean, you're going through weight all the time. And if you're doing them back to back, I mean, that's a lot of feelings and a lot of injections and a lot of monitoring. I mean, for an extended period of time, if you're doing a lot of them. Yeah. And I mean, Elise, I have a person with a lot of feelings, so I felt them all. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, we did a couple IUIs. They weren't working. Um, it was hard, blah, blah, blah. I think we did like a total of five within a year. That's a lot. Um, yeah, like kind of somewhere more spaced out, obviously. But then I think like at least three or four of them were all in a row or something. Yeah. And then we just, we took a break at that point. Because for us, we were very fortunate that these IUIs were covered. So I, I used to call these, this was our, our free attempts, right? Like we Okay, really they were covered free. by insurance. Okay. Yes. Okay. Sorry. And, and so I always say free in quotes, because obviously, yeah, you're not paying money for them, but they're still, you know, um, emotionally um, expensive, right? And they take time too. I mean, it's like the time and emotional energy, like even if every other expense is covered, it's, you are still paying, just not financially. Right. Correct. So, um, yeah, we, uh, took a break. We bought our house. Um, we really poured ourselves into our house. I enjoyed, you know, doing all the house stuff. Um, and then at that point we kind of were in a place where we could start kind of thinking about IVF, but our financial situation said, you can do one round and if it doesn't work, like let's say we get to the end and there's like no embryos, like it's kind of game over at that point for a couple of years until we can rebound. And so I had started researching some stuff. Um, that's when I came across embryo donation. So I ended up finding through the Googles, um, finding this website and then that they help match people up. And we actually like met somebody and they were ready to donate embryos to us. So like within five minutes, basically. If people are not familiar with the term embryo donation, can you kind of high level explain what that is and how it's different from IVF? So basically it's an individual or a couple that's done IVF, um, done the whole process and they have an abundance of embryos, um, more than they need to complete their family. And so they have the option to either store them indefinitely. Um, they can donate them to science, which a lot of clinics have a program like that, which I think is super awesome because it advances, you know, ways to better the IVF process in general. And then 
they can discard them so they could just thaw them and let them arrest or they can donate them to somebody. Um, and so we were those somebodies in that situation. And initially we connected with a couple that had three extra embryos and they donated them to us. So we actually knew them. We got to know them. It was like an instant connection. Literally, they offered us these embryos within five days of meeting them. For once, something was going fast, right? Like, you know, it's like all this stuff with infertility, it's like so can be drawn out and like take forever. So here we were like with embryos, basically. So and then, then from there on, it did take a significant amount of time. We were fortunate that we had friends throw like a little bit, not a little bit, it was this amazing little benefit for us that helped us raise some of the money we needed. We did have to do some legal part of it. Like we had a um, an attorney that specializes in third-party reproduction. It's kind of like helping, it's called the transferring of tissue. It's basically what they call it because the embryos are, you know, a blob of cells, right? But it's mm-hmm. still, it's it's akin to like, for me personally, my beliefs is like if someone were to give someone else a kidney, you know? I mean, there's just a lot that goes into this that you don't think about. And I'm curious to know how you made the decision to pursue this. I mean, this is a big decision. I think a lot of people in the community can sometimes wrestle with even the idea of donor sperm or donor eggs. And this is essentially both donor sperm and donor eggs. And I'm curious to know what those conversations with Jesse kind of looked like in the beginning. I think for me, I was like, all systems ago, let's do this. Let's, um, let's become parents this way. Um, and Jesse had a little bit more hesitation. It took him a little bit longer to mourn that genetic connection. And for anyone that is listening, not everyone's going to be like me and, you know, where they're just ready to go. Um, I, you know, a lot of people are like Jesse, where there's that connection to your genetics and you take a while to really come to that place of like, okay, this might be the end of the road as far as genetic connection, biological children. I mean, it's a lot of questions you have to ask yourself. And I think that's why a lot of clinics like have you go through some type of psychological screenings too, to make sure you consider everything because it is a huge decision. And in a way, it's this type of grief where you're grieving the loss of what you thought your future was going to like, what you thought your kids were going to look like. Mm -hmm. And it's still exciting and an opportunity, but there's still some kind of things you need to put to rest and some questions you need to ask yourself. Correct. Yes. And we did go through all that, the process with the psychological evaluations and stuff. But yeah, and and I think with any part or any next step with fertility stuff, I remember a therapist once telling me that never, very rarely are you and your partner going to arrive to something at the same time. It's going to take patience for you to wait or or them to wait for the other person to catch up, right? So that was hard for me because I'm not patient. I was like, okay, here's this thing. Let's do it. And I had to be patient. And that was, you know, I wasn't always super kind. And I was, you know, I probably rushed Jesse a little bit. I do think, you know, he ultimately obviously was very much at peace with it, but it it took longer for him. So Lauren, you were pretty open about a lot of your infertility journey with Mm -hmm. your family. And I'm wondering if they had feelings around your decision to pursue embryo donation or if there was any sort of advice or thoughts you were hearing from them. You know, I mean, they've been my family members for, you know, 
upwards at that point, some 30 years. I think they weren't shocked to learn that I had some outside the box idea to, to grow our family. <laughs> like, oh, there's Lauren up to her usual antic. There's Lauren being Lauren. Yeah. Um, so no, they were very supportive from the get go, you know, had questions and wondered kind of how, you know, things would play out. Obviously concerned about my emotions and, and, you know, the physical toll it would take on my body, you know, all that kind of stuff, but very supportive overall. So you met this couple, they were mm-hmm. generous enough to donate three of their embryos to you. Can you take us through what happened next? So we went through the process of all the legal part of it, um, got that all signed and whatever, um, and went through the you know psychological evaluations. We went, we chose to do everything at their clinic so we could keep the embryos there. Um, we did have the option to transfer them to a clinic closer to us, but seemed easier better for the embryos to not have to move them it took almost a year before we got matched with them and met them to when we did our transfer you know for reasons financial reasons but also just all the different hoops we had to jump through so we did a transfer i got pregnant it was like oh okay i'm pregnant it was incredible at that point we were gosh five years in. So this is the first time I saw a positive pregnancy test. In five years, what were those first feelings? Could you believe it had worked? (laughs) Surreal, unreal. I felt pregnant. We got to have an ultrasound, I think at six weeks, we saw the little heart flickering. Super magical. We were going to be parents. That was so cool. Um, Go science. And then Yeah, right. Go science. And then I had another ultrasound the baby again and then another one at eight and a half weeks and the baby no longer had a heartbeat so we had a miscarriage um it was called a i think what what do they call it a missed miscarriage because um it wasn't like i started bleeding like the baby it had stopped growing yeah right exactly so yeah that was pretty pretty low point in our journey so um we ended up going through that i had a dnc um, can i can i share a memory i have about this time because we were friends like when this was happening and i remember a, a group of us came over to your house uh i think we met at another gal's house and you came over yeah nope i remember yeah and we were chatting and had food and we're all just kind of trying to show up and um listen and support you and something i remember you sharing and I don't remember if this was the time or if it was another time, but you'd made a comment and I remember this is stuck with me and you were like, gosh, I just, I was like very much into eating these like white cheddar Cheez-Its and I just worry, like, is that what killed the baby? And I was like, oh my God, like, no, I know, I know, it didn't kill the baby. And I just remember thinking like, wow, we as women and you as a human, like, we yeah. always like blame ourselves that are so disheartened that we would never like think of any of our friends or sisters or anyone else. We'd never be like, oh yeah, that baby died because she liked gummy bears. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's weird, but we, we, we try to cling to any sort of like, we need reasons. We need, why did this happen? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and yeah, it's like now thinking about that and as silly as that sounds weird uh it doesn't even sound silly people do that all the time we're constantly thinking of is this my fault oh if i'd done this differently if i said this thing another way if you know it's it's rough and in those brains of ours yes yes and i think for me it was kind of almost 
twofold in a way, like, because I was also, even though these were our embryos at this point, I had this other couple that generously gave us these embryos. And I feel like, you know, not only did I let myself down and our, you know, I, I let this couple down, like I wasn't able to even stay pregnant with their embryo, you know? Yeah. So, and then um, we did end up, um, again, this is me, the fierce advocator. Generally, they don't test the tissue if it's your first loss, especially, you know, they're, but I, I forced them to, I said, I want to know, you know, so they, they did test it and it, it was a chromosomal abnormality. Okay. So it wasn't Cheez-Its. It wasn't something my body did. <laughs> it was So much for trying to get Cheez-Its to sponsor this episode. I feel like we probably know, right? shipped the bed oh there. God. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. I want Cheez-Its right now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. Whether you're looking for a good luck charm for your next IUI or getting a little something for your cycle buddy on Instagram, check out our online shop. Discreet hopeful beanies, rainbow sweatshirts, we've got you covered whether you're loud and proud about your journey or keeping it under wraps for now. Check out shop.fruitfulfertility.org to see all our fruitful merchandise. Now back to the show. So yeah, we um, mourned that loss. We we moved on and we actually, within a couple, like less than, you know, two months, we were doing another transfer. Um, and then I had a chemical pregnancy and yeah, we then, um, that was hard because you see those numbers rising and then they drop and um, yeah. And then the, the last one was a technically not a pregnancy, but I know I saw a positive pregnancy test at home, like mm. the faintest line. And um, I think I had like a HCG of like, they don't count it a pregnancy unless it's like over like three. But anyway, I, um, I know that embryo tried to try it its hardest. And um, yeah, we ended up then at that point with no embryos and no babies. And that was the end of that journey. When you were there and you had these three embryos and none of them resulted in a live baby, were you feeling like you wanted to keep doing embryo donation or were you like, this didn't work, F this? Like, kind of what was your attitude? Yeah, I guess I was feeling like no hope. I do remember when we found out the last one didn't work wasn't going to happen. Our clinic asked us, do you want to just go on the wait list for our anonymously donated embryos? And I was like, sure. Yeah, whatever. We started filling out paperwork actually for domestic infant adoption and, and like possibly just going down that path. I remember though, forcing myself to just like be still. I remember that message just kept coming over me throughout that whole summer. Be still. And so I tried to be still. That's honestly the hardest thing that I think a lot of us can do. I mean, we're so used to having control over everything and it can be so hard to just kind of unclench. Yeah. And that was very hard for me. We ended up doing a few more IUIs and I actually got pregnant with our own genetic child at that point. So like after the summer, I know after the summer of just being still, we um, had a few more IUIs covered by our insurance. So it was like back to let's do whatever it takes to have a baby that doesn't cost money. Um, So we did some IUIs and actually had one work. Um, and I was pregnant, um, and I had another miscarriage. So it was gross, hard, weirdly enough, our miscarriage happened on the same day. Our first miscarriage happened the year prior. So it was like 
weird, you know, to like be. Yeah, in the that same is place. really weird. Trippy. Um, yeah. So that was probably the lowest of the lows at that point. So then um, went through all the process again. DNC, they tested the tissue. They, it was inconclusive. They couldn't tell us why. Um, and then we got a call from our clinic in Iowa because I had put my name on the list for our name on the list for uh, their anonymous donated embryos. And there we were on the top of the list. And so they were like, do you want to try one of our batches of donated embryos, the anonymous ones? And I said, well, I talked to Jesse, but we decided to jump back into it. And looking back, I'm like, what the hell? Why, why did I think that was a good idea? Like, oh, my god! After everything. Lauren, can you explain the difference between an anonymous embryo donation and, I guess, a known embryo donation? Is that the language? properly okay yeah i think known donor and anonymous are are the terms okay. that people tend to use um and so this this was um another couple that had created embryos had an abundance um and then instead of like finding a couple on their own they chose to just donate them back to the clinic and from there the clinic would connect these embryos to another individual or couple wanting to grow their family so we had information on all of their genetic history, I think like three generations, very basic information about them. Um, so very much a shift from, you know, I had formed such a bond um, and, and I still feel such a, a connection to the family, especially the, the mom of our first embryos, the genetic mom. So I didn't have that with the second time around. I felt a little guilty because I thought I had, you know, been really firm in, in my desire to make sure that any resulting children had a connection to their genetics. But I think at this point, and, and I, I can say this now, I was, I just wanted to be a mom. I needed it to be, you know, and I, and, and we, we went through with it. And um, that first transfer we did resulted in our, our daughter, um, little Lottie Lou. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's, um, yeah, she's three now. And we had a, a second, our son, um, Martin, um, we call him Mar. He was born almost exactly two years later, a week before his sister's second birthday. Well, and um, Lottie and Mar are full genetic siblings from this. Yes, 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 exactly. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So that was something that really made me feel better. And, and you know, it's like I, I was able to give them, we were able to like have two children that had a, that genetic connection. Um, and there, you're going to hear from a lot of people that go this route and say, you know, genetics aren't that important. And, you know, to me, there is importance to that. We don't have a relationship with their um, genetic. We, we refer to them as their genetic mom and dad. Um people use other terms, their donors, um, will support them though, in any ways that they want to pursue any sort of learning about their genetic past. And I, there's so many ways to do that. Now there's like donor registries, um, you know, there's the testing they could do when they're ready, like through, um, 23 and me. Yeah. I mean, this is probably a different conversation altogether, Oh but, yeah, but I feel yeah. like, the state of technology right now, like, is there even such a thing as a anonymous donor? Like, just with the amount of people out there who have registered with 23andMe and Ancestry.com and so many of these different databases, it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, the whole concept of being anonymous is sort of out the window. 
kind yeah it is um and i think clinics are are catching up and realizing that they can't guarantee that and then i think they're being forthcoming with that but it's still you know something that they try to give patients and the donors i'm curious if you kind of have some things that you think couples should consider before deciding to pursue embryo donation go into it with your eyes open and knowing that you know this is a a strong chance for you to become a parent it's not a guarantee that you're going to have success and i know i'm sorry for those listening i i I know that's our hope, obviously, to become, you know, but it's not always a guarantee. I think going into it, knowing that you're going to be raising a child that doesn't share your genetics, and it's important that we honor that and really we're we're telling our these children in age-appropriate ways from the beginning. We've been encouraged to make sure that we talk about this with our kids from the beginning. Research and studies show how important that is. Um, and so we, we've already started that, and we talked to, and Lottie's three now, and so we, we have more conversations about it. Some of the articles I've read say that you know, you're supposed to talk about it kind of over time and share little by little so mint of like the bombshell being dropped. Like it's always something they've kind of known about. Yeah. And I think we all probably know somebody that knows somebody or, you know, that was adopted in a traditional sense as an infant. And, you know, there are some people, even people like from our generation. So like in their thirties still that weren't told until a long time. Like yeah. it was a bombshell, you know, it's now I would say, um, well, and with 23 and me too, there are all these crazy oh, stories yeah. of people who found out yeah. like after their dad died that they weren't their genetic dad. And then you have all these questions and like, who's going to answer them? Oh, no. right. And I, I don't, you know, like the, it's not a secret. We're open about it. We talk about it when we um, make that choice to have children that don't share our genetics. You know, we, we, it's what we owe these children to be open. And um, especially when there's synonymous and, and we can't give them that physical connection with their genetic family. So Lauren, do you think the fact that your kids aren't genetically related to you affected your ability to bond with them uh, during pregnancy? And then I'm also thinking like postpartum, because I think a lot of families and to be moms fear that when they're using donor materials or pursuing adoption, that they might struggle to form a bond or connection. Like, what what are your, your some of what are some of your thoughts on this? Okay, your questions making me just like cry mm. <laughs> as I'm thinking about it <laughs> because never has there been a moment where I haven't felt that connection with my children, mm-hmm. like in utero um, when I'd see the ultrasounds and see their little bodies wiggling around. They were meant for a family, um, and they were the children I was always supposed to have. It's a another kind of unique story about ours, but um, Lottie and Martin were created in um, February of 2011 as embryos. We obviously didn't start using them until um, we did our first transfer in um, February of 2017, so they were frozen in that time. My husband and I were married in August of 2011, so those embryos, the entire time we went through infertility, um, they were there. They were there. And um, I like to say they were just there chilling, literally. <laughs> they were there a, chilling, waiting. Yeah. yeah. They were just waiting for us. And we had to go through so much. And they found us. We found them. And that's just, they were meant for us. And no, there was never a hard 
process of bonding. Um, my husband has never, ever, we just, like, we talk about it with them and try to, you know, again, talk about how they came to us, but they're our children, and that's in any other way, have they been biologically or genetically, you know, our connected children, you know, it's no different. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on and sharing about your family and your decision to pursue embryo donation. I mean, it's such a great, incredible scientific development that we're able to do this safely and responsibly. And it's just so exciting that we can reuse some of these embryos that might not have ever had a chance to become people. So that's pretty cool. Um, So thank you so much, Lauren. I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm so proud of you and all that you're doing too for this community. You're really an amazing and fierce advocate. (laughs) No, truly. And yeah, I care about you a lot. And I think it's awesome to see. You're awesome. Thanks so much, Lauren. In There, Injected That is produced by Fruitful Fertility and hosted by myself, Elise Ash. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe to get updates, and visit our website at fruitfulfertility.org. Thanks for listening.